Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Good on FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren on the West Coast. On the East Coast, we got uh, David North Mellencamp. Martina. 
So, <laughs> a little joke for the upcoming show here, you know, mm. but we are working on Labor Day. We are. What's going you, on? For the listeners, because we care about our listeners so much. We do. Well, you do. I I do. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows I'm the cranky one here. I don't care. <laughs> Come on. But... Um, so now we're we're kind of going into the music world and writing world today. We kind of got it both going on. Okay, so yep. you're sitting down, excited. I am. <laughs> <laughs> you're terrible. Okay, well, so we've got this. Uh, we've got a writer here that's written a lot of biographies and and things about rock stars and people in the entertainment business. So, and his latest book is called Melancamp. And our guest is the author, Paul Reese. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Before we get into Mellencamp, um, you've got quite the history of writing uh, about different rock stars, you know, Robert Plant. and uh, What got you down that road of writing about uh, people like that? Uh, well, that was, I, I spent 25 years, God help me, as a music journalist um, in the UK, edited a couple of magazines, so I... Pretty much all my working life has been spent interviewing musicians, so uh, it was a natural next thing to do, to write about them at greater length. You know, I wonder, but, you know, when you um, when you do um, a, a biography and you're telling about someone's history, that someone that's been in public like this, like Robert Plant or Mellencamp or any of that stuff, um, do you sort of get worried about how it's going to be um, received by people and including the... Uh, the singer or star themselves? Um, I think if you if you were worried or, or you let that distract you, you, you wouldn't write a word because, uh, you know, it, dealing with musicians and rock stars, the most innocuous thing can upset them. The thing that you think might rile them beyond belief washes over them. I think you just have to do, you can only be as honest as you can be um, and as careful as you can be with your research and all the rest of it, that you, you can't worry what people are going to think about it, especially the, the subject. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, of course, but, you know, I mean, you've written about some big, I mean, you were you're doing interviews, what you, you've written, you've interviewed Paul McCartney and Bruce Springsteen, Bono, take that, ACDC, and Madonna. God, Madonna can kill a man at 10 paces. Um, you, you have to be very, <laughs> very careful, I would think, Um uh, because don't don't you worry about their fans if they don't like something you say or it's the same thing. I, I think I, I I always try and approach things. The, the the people I interview, I tend to respect them greatly, be a fan of their music. I I, I don't see the point in interviewing someone you don't like. I don't see the point in doing hatchet jobs. So I try and approach it from a, a point of as an enthusiast point and and basically wanted to know what makes them tick. I think Madonna's the perfect example of how you can offend someone without meaning to. Madonna got upset that I actually wrote in the interview that she uh, looked into a handkerchief when she blew her nose. That seemed to cause her untold grief for months afterwards. But um, I think it, it, I, I, I go at it from the point of view of most, the people all right, but I'm genuinely interested in. Um, I, I'm not trying to take them down or expose them in ways they don't want to be exposed or, or whatever. I, I, I try and do it from a fan's point of view. Yeah, yeah, it's a good way. Um, so uh, do you ever find that, um, like, when you're doing a book like Mellencamp, um, how was he um, towards letting you get into information that's private? He, I mean, he was about as good as, as anybody can be, I, I would guess. I, I, I'd interviewed him at length 
on a couple of occasions. And then through him and his management, um, I was able to interview members of his family, pretty much everybody he's played in his band over the years, people who've worked with him, collaborated with him, management him and all the rest of it. Um, so he allowed me, me access and, and let me talk to a, an enormous number of people who were, who were close to him. And then he, he read the manuscript before it came out. There was, there was several parts of it I thought he would take issue with or want toned down, uh, and he didn't. The only thing I think, if memory serves, that he uh, he wanted change was I'd got the uh, the address on which his grandmother lived. I'd, I'd got the name of the street slightly wrong, and he wanted that corrected. But pretty much everything else, um, and it, and at times it's quite warts and all. He, he let it go. I think he was very much of the opinion, or seemed to be of the opinion, that it that it should be a version of the truth and it, and it should be all sides to him. And, and that's what he's allowed to happen to his credit. I think. Now, you know, when you did something, when you do this, was there certain things that really surprised you about, about him that you didn't know? I think there's always, I, I mean, I think I've, I've been a, like I said, I've, I've been a fan of Mallenkamp since well, way back with Jack and Diane. Um, so I was aware of his um, reputation. You know, I knew he was, uh, <laughs> he was quite hard headed and quite, uh, divisive I, I think um a lot of what I, I found out about him was through interviewing him in the two times I interviewed him which was 2010 and then again I think in 2014 15 um and, and that he's such a I mean he's a bit of a renaissance man he's obviously painted he paints he's done musicals and stuff like that but but how genuinely engaged he was and curious he was and interested he was and articulate he, he was uh, I think the, the biggest surprise of all, I think, from from talking to all the people who've worked with him is just, just that the, the sort of relentlessness of the way he works. I, I, I think it's, it's surprising and not that surprising that, that he, he basically has never really stopped being bullheaded and playing forward. But then that probably explains why he's in his 70th year and still making great music. Yeah, for sure. So so you liked him? I did. I mean, I think he's a, the, the first time I met him... Um, he, he did pull a sword on me. He was carrying a Victorian, one of those old Victorian antique walking canes that, that had um, rapier blades embedded in the top. And he, he whisked it out and waved it within about three inches of my left eyeball um, and said words to the effect of, I'll give you an hour to talk to me. I, I can't actually say the exact, <laughs> the exact sentence as he uttered it. And he was quite intimidating for about 20 minutes. Uh, and I think then when he realised that it was that it was actually I, I I did know I did know his music I was interested in talking to him he, he lightened up um, and he's just he's he was fascinating um, he was one of the few people you could pretty much lob any question at him he wouldn't take offence he'd answer it he'd he'd, he'd be reflective of it uh, and when I went back to interview in the second time he was um, about as warm as I think John gets towards people outside of his inner circle but he, he's just um. He's just a really interesting guy. I, I, I thought he was like a character out of American fiction. He's, he's like something plumbed from a Faulkner book. He's this, he's this grizzled, cossed guy, um, but he's just got an, a really interesting story. Well, you mentioned um, hard-headedness, relentlessness, um, tenacity. Uh, do you think that's the secret to his success besides raw talent? Yes. I mean, I think if you... Um, if you're familiar with his work, and, and John's pretty honest mm. about it, it, it probably took him four or five. He, he, I mean, he came from, he had pretty much everything going against him. You know, he was from a small town in Indiana. Um, 
he, he David Bowie's manager took him on uh, and saddled with the him with the unfortunate name Johnny Cougar. And his first four or five yeah. records weren't particularly good. He was critically either ignored or reviled. Um, and almost by force of will, he made himself really good. Um, and I think that that drive and tenacity, he's, he's not stopped since then. He's, he's sort of reinvented himself on a couple of occasions. Um, he doesn't tend to stand still. He's not remotely um, melancholy about the past or backward looking. He, he goes forward. Um and I think that's that sort of drive. I mean, it's the same thing he's, he shares with people like Springsteen and Petty. I think if you if you're going to sustain yourself over 40, 50 years in the music business, you have to be thick skinned and hard headed to degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, how was his health? Didn't he have some health problems like heart problems? Yeah, surprisingly, smoking four packets of cigarette cigarettes a day and existing on uh, fried food gave him a heart attack in his 40s <laughs> um, and, and, <laughs> and levels of stress due to his own <laughs> his own demanding personality yeah he, he had a heart attack in his 40s um, and I think thereafter he at least he, he changed his diet and he started doing some exercise uh, he still smokes like a chimney um, and mm. you know I think that's as far I think he had he'd had a scare before then I, I don't think he's had any particular serious health issues since then um but then i suppose if you're gonna if you have a heart attack in your 40s you learn a lesson at least in some respects well hopefully um i i i wonder so when you say he's not your typical rock star how is he different from people like uh, robert plant and and others that you've written about or interviewed um i have to be careful here i, I think that I think that he's very, very self-aware, or he's become very self-aware. He, he, he credits Pete Seeger, the, the folks, he had a conversation with Pete Seeger, and Pete Seeger said to him, if you're going to carry on for 50, 60 years, keep it small. Um, and I think he's one of the few rock stars who's dealt with that, with, with dignity and with grace, dealt with that business. When you stop becoming a quote-unquote rock star, whose videos are on MTV, who's played on the radio a lot, He's managed that really well. He's changed the way he, he, he performs. He's changed his music. He's become much more of a source of folk singer. Um, and he, he, he's age appropriate. He, he terms it himself. He's age appropriate. You know, if you, if you go and see John perform these days, he's more likely to be in, um, the, you know, the, the work suit he, he wears for painting. Uh, he's not trying to be Mick Jagger. He's not trying to be, um, 20, 30 years younger than he is. He, he performs as he is, as a late 60, 70-year-old man. And I think that's to his enormous credit. He's perfectly happy with the audience he's got. I think the audience have grown up with him. And it's, it, it, he said to me a couple of times when I was talking to him, he's, he's not there to perform for teenagers. If, if younger people want to come and see him, great. But there's no concessions made to that. And I think that does set him apart. I, I don't think there's many uh, rock stars. You know, a lot of rock stars are a curse with this Peter Pan thing. Um and, and try to cling on to their youth, uh, and I don't think he's done that. Yeah. How do you think he handled being um, so popular once he got there? <laughs> Not particularly well by, <laughs> by his own account. <laughs> I, I think he said, the way he describes it in hindsight is he, he when he got to the top, he had a look around, decided he didn't like it very much, and clambered back down pretty quickly. I don't, I don't think it was quite as simple as that. I think it it probably brought out or magnified the worst aspects of his personality, you know, the, the impatience, the stubbornness, that that the, you know that he was going to trample over whoever he needed to to get his own way to do things. I, I, I think that that probably amplified all of that, and I think it did take him 
a few years to accept the fact um, that, that you can't do everything and control everything. Um, but I, I, I don't think he was, I don't think he was particularly comfortable uh, being a rock star. I, I think the records he made, probably, well, the, the record he made, Lonesome Jubilee and Scarecrow are two of the biggest records he made. And then he made an album called Big Daddy, if you know that, which was much more downbeat, mm. much more, um, and, and certainly wasn't pandering to a wider audience. So I, I think he's, I, I think he had, he had his time in the spotlight and has then very, very deliberately moved away from it. Well, he's admitted that he's he had a temper. Did uh, did that cause him any problems? Did he get any, into any trouble? <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think if you, most of the of his bandmates, past, present, uh, past and present that you speak to, have had one or other run-ins or more run-ins with him. Um, mm. I, I think he I think he comes with. I, I spoke to his brother, his half brother Joe, and and he was very clear that you know they come from a long line. The Mellencamp men are fiercely competitive and have a short mm. fuse, uh, and I think John inherited both of those aspects of his personality. Mm. Um, you know, he's he's quick to fire for sure, um, and I think everybody who's worked with him um, in in the recording studio in the live environment. Uh, has one story or other about John losing his temper or being on the wrong end of a tongue lashing. I think there was one record company executive um, he threw a chair at. There's another one he threw a punch at. So uh, there's band members he's punched, summarily sacked, screamed and shouted at. So, yes, I think it's fair to say that, <laughs> <laughs> that it brought out his temper. Farm Aid, did he start that out or how was that? How did that come along? That came because it was, it was a comment Bob Dylan, famously comment Bob Dylan made at Live Aid. Um, and I am paraphrasing him, but to the extent that this is all well and good, but we should also do something uh, in our own backyard um, and mention the American farmer. Willie Nelson picked up on that comment. Obviously, Willie Nelson's from um, Texas farming stock. And Willie Nelson was looking to do an event. He, he'd enlisted at, uh, I think it was Chicago, the first one. He'd enlisted the mayor of Chicago to get involved. And Willie Nelson happened to be playing golf with someone who knew Mellencamp. Uh, and he was talking about what he wanted to do and the guy said Mellencamp's just written this song called Rain on the Scarecrow which is absolutely what you were talking about uh, and Willie Nelson rang John and the three, the two of them together with Neil Young um, were pretty much the, the, the driving forces behind that uh, and now Dave Matthews is, is also a board member so I think that's typical of him it, it, it's it, again, it, it wasn't something that was just a passing fancy. He, he believed in it passionately and he stuck with it to the present day. That started in 1985 and he's still doing farm aid shows every year. And he'll, he'll still, when the need arises or when he feels he has to get up on his soapbox and shout for, for, for farm aid. Now, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, correct? Yeah. Um, what What was this feeling about that? I think <laughs> typical, really. I, I think you speak to John and it, um, John, to, when you ask him directly about it, it will be quite not dismissive of it, but it's, it's very much like, um, relaxed about it. Not, he doesn't, he pretends he doesn't get particularly worked up about it. It's just one of those things that happen. Um, I, I spoke to a couple of people who worked for him, a, a manager, someone who was his booking agent, and he said, you know, he, he, he dearly wanted to be recognized in that way. Um, he was he'd been put forward, I think, two or three times and passed over. Um, and the last time he was in, he was adamant he was going away on tour or on holiday. So he wouldn't be around when the nominations were, were announced. He wouldn't be disappointed. And from a couple of accounts, he, he was moved to tears by the fact he was recognised by by 
by his peers, essentially. I, I think one of John's great things, I think John, he, he's very interesting because he'd be very, very dismissive of critics. Uh, he's his own harshest critics, but I think he also, there's that burning thing inside him. I think mean, he knows he's good, and I think he feels sometimes that he's been overlooked and unfairly, uh, and I think that recognition is important to him. I think I think increasingly, I think his legacy and what and who he is and what he is and how he's perceived is important to him as well. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you ever talk about politics or that sort of thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you get him on politics, yeah, you, you can book an afternoon off. <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh, he's got in, in his office at um, Belmont Mall. He's got a there's a letter of commendation from Barack Obama uh, and Michelle Obama when when Barack Obama was president, um, and he, he he introduces that picture by saying I did tell Obama that that I was way way to the left of him. Um, yeah, he's very committed politically. I think it took a while. Um, if you know a song called Pink Houses, I think that was the first time he really felt as if he got something to express. Uh, and after that, he's become more and more active. But he, he's very vocal about um, his beliefs. Uh, he famously um, wrote a song called To Washington, or covered a song called To Washington um, uh, during the time of the Gulf War um, and ended up with people um, in boats outside the back of his house hurling abuse at him for being a Marxist and a communist and all the rest of it. I, and it bothers him none. I think he's... No, as he says, he, he's he's very much to the left of anybody who's ever sat in the White House. Um, but yeah, he, he's he's passionate about his politics, goes deeply about it. Well, I guess I I I, I would think that he'd be worried nowadays because there, people can just attack you nowadays. You know what I mean? It's not like uh, not like where it's just a passing thing. People get really aggressive online. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure how much. John surfing the internet and looking at—I uh, don't think he—I don't think he, he gets distracted in that way. I, I think he's very much. Um, if if you listen to him or if you've, if you've seen him, he, he pretty much when he's not working is is in his painting studio from first thing in the morning till the end of, end of the day. I think he he talks when he wants to talk. I don't think he pays much attention to to, to when people have to go at him or I, I, he certainly. I think in that space, um, the Twitterati and all that sort of stuff, I, I don't think he's any interest in that. I don't think he cares one jot what people are saying about him. Hmm. So who does he consider his biggest influences? Woody Guthrie for sure. Um, Dylan for definite. Uh, and he he would talk very passionately about uh, Rolling Stones uh, as a youth. I guess all those things, all three of those would seem pretty obvious, but I think he's also massively into to black music, Motown, soul. Um, there was a, there was a radio station, the name of which escapes me at the moment, that he listened to, or he could pick up, I think it, it broadcast out of Chicago and he could pick it up in Indiana, uh, which is a black music station. Um, 
And he had James Brown, lots of Motown stuff there. His, his first band, Prep Soul, were a mixed race band uh, and, and doing soul covers. So he, he's, he's outside of the, you know, the inevitable folk and rock influences. Yeah. Huge fan of Motown, huge fan of soul music, huge fan of people like Stevie Wonder as well. Hmm. What do you think people would be surprised to learn about him? I, I, I always think that, I think the most surprising thing is, um, just how good of a painter he is. Um, I, I think that, you know, when you say rock star painter, you, you tend to think, well, you do think of Dylan and, and dear old Ronnie Wood. Uh, and, you know, that's, you know, my small child with crayons is about on the, the level of, of some of their work. Um, but John's really good. I mean, he, he's very, very good. He, he's, he's properly trained. He's properly passionate about it. Um, the last time his, his work was exhibited in New York, it was alongside Robert Rauschenberg, who's, um, you know, one of the giants of American contemporary art. And, and they were mounted on the same level. And, and uh, the, the, the gallery that mounted it, New York gallery that mounted it, the American gallery of contemporary art, felt that it was appropriate that he should be there. And I think that's the biggest surprise that, and how passionate he is about his painting. Um, it, it's at least on the level of his music. Um, you know, he spends hours and hours and hours at it. And I, I think that's, he's not a dilettante. I think that's, that's the most, it, it, when he does something, he does it all in or nothing. And I think if he hadn't been able to paint to that level, he would have stopped. He certainly wouldn't have put himself in the public arena and, and done it on the back of his name. I found it interesting to learn that uh, he wrote a musical with uh, Stephen King. Did, do you know how that all came about? I do, yeah. I, I, but the first time I um, I went to interview me, it was at his at his house, and um, he he drove me down to the house at a terrifying speed on the back of this uh, John Deere tractor, because um, there's a lot of John that's trying to intimidate him, uh, and we stood out on the the, the sort of the deck in the house, front deck in the house by the pool, and he, he there's an island. He, he lives off on on the shores of Lake Monroe in um, Indiana, southern Indiana, and he pointed over to a little island on the on the far shore, and he bought a cabin over there. And he was telling the story. He said he his son had gone and stayed in the cabin, um, and people he knew had gone and stayed in the cabin, and they told him it was haunted. His road manager had, and and he was having no truck with, with that. And he said so. He went over and stayed there one night. And he said he could hear noises, all the rest of it. And he, he ran out screaming, uh, did some research into it. And he found this story that um, two brothers are down in the cabin. They got an argument over a girl one night uh, and one brother had killed the other brother, driven off. And, and he'd gone into the lake and drowned. And that was the source. He, he, he wrote that story out, was trying to think of someone appropriate to turn it into a musical. And he said, because he's John Mellencamp. He was able to send it to Stephen King. Um, he did tell me he'd sold the cabin uh, not long after he'd spent the terrifying night there because he wasn't warned when he bought it. Nobody told him. So I did so, ask him if he'd, he'd warned the people who bought it off and that it was haunted, and uh, <laughs> he'd neglected to do that. What do you think he's going to do now for the rest of his life? He's going to continue doing uh, music? I think he'll continue. Yeah, I, I, I think he'll continue doing music. He'll continue creating Um I know for, he's got a new record coming out in um, October. Um, I know for a fact he's working on another musical, um, which is based on the lyric uh, that he wrote to Jack and Diane. Uh, the original lyric for Jack and Diane was about a mixed race couple. So I think that's the thread. Musically, he was working on that uh, and they were casting that right before 
everybody went into lockdown um, and he'll continue to play. I think, you know, he, he bangs on about, in, in latter life, he's banged out, banged on about this quite a lot. The idea that he doesn't feel fulfilled in any day if he hasn't created something. So I'm, I'm sure he will go on. Even if it's just making, if he if he decides to keep on touring, if not, I'm sure he will go on making music for himself. He'll go on painting and he, he'll go on engaging in other projects that, that that interest him. So, how is his family, and how was his family with all of his success? Um, I, I think they're tremendously proud. I mean, I spoke to his brother Joe, and, and like all siblings, uh, Joe said, you know, enormously proud of him. Um, enormously protective of him uh, and then Joe would insist that he had a better singing voice than John and had all along <laughs> um but you know his father Richard his father Richard's in his 90s now and still works for him uh, and still does stuff for him uh I spoke to both of his daughters Teddy Joe and Justice uh, and I, I think that genuine um wonder and respect at what he did because they know better than anybody where he came from um and what it took for him to get to where he got to uh, and to stay in that. So I think, yeah, I think tremendous pride. Uh, and, uh, uh, yeah, and the, the family, the, yeah, there's not a bad word to be said in the family about, about him and what he's done. So now he had a nickname, Little Bastard. What was that? <laughs> I, I think that was, um, I, I, there's various versions of that. I, I think there's a one is, is, a guy called Dan, Don Gahan who produced his early records also he also produced REM um, he and John he claims that he gave it to John I think John claims he gave it to himself but I think the notion that, that that's exactly how he behaved um, he said to me that, that, that when he was in his 30s he said he, he said he came from a family of people a family of men who didn't ask questions they just hit and, and, and he, he tried to convince himself that he would grow up to be a more measured and balanced individual than that and he said when he got into his 30s he realized he hadn't and he was exactly the same um so i think it's a name that that's exactly what he was he, he that's how he behaved that's what he was um probably right up until he was in his mid-30s early 40s do you think he's happy now? That's a really good question because I, that, I, that was, I asked, um, I asked his brother Joe, I asked his daughters, uh, I asked a guy called Gary Bobringer who went to school with him and knew him from school. Um, what was the one question they'd asked him? And all of them said, ask him if he's happy. Um, and his brother Joe said, I hope so. Um, and I think, in, in lots of other cases, genuinely not sure. I, I think happy. I think I think he's very. I think probably happy in several respects. Content. No, I don't think he'll ever be content. I think he's one of those guys who he's always moving on to the next thing. And and if that works, and if he's satisfied by that, then there's something else he ought to be doing and doing better. So I, I'm not sure he ever just sits and takes stock. No. Well, you know, it, it, it's it's got to be hard from that place because a lot of people, you know, they think they know him and they'll say things about him. And uh, how do you fight that? How do you know? You know, it's it's a weird business. So, um, yeah, pretty interesting. Um, so what what about you? What's next for you? Are you going to be doing another biography yourself? Or yeah, I'm, I'm actually just uh, I'm. 
I guess in the early stage, I'm doing a, a book on Elliot Smith, um, you know, the guy who did the, the soundtrack to Goodwill Hunting, um, which is a, a brilliant singer-songwriter, a, a fascinating story, but quite a dark story as well. So I've, I've just started work on that um, and, and we'll be on that for the next 12 months or so. Hmm. How do you decide who you're going to write about? Um Exactly that thing, just just um, people I like, um, people whose stories I think are interesting, and that, that you think. I mean, it's like with John. I think there'd been there'd been a couple of books on John, but they were they were a long time ago, and a lot's happened since then. So the sense that there was a story there to tell. Um, the same with Elliot Smith. The same with John. Imp- with John Impus, there'd been nothing, and and he always seemed the missing. The missing link in the Who story. So it, it it's that combination that, that that there's a story there to be told, um, and then I, I think you've I think you've got to you've got to care about the story and be passionate about the person's music to commit the amount of time it takes to do these things, um, to want to do them. Do you have a process that you go through to uh, do the research for for books like these? I do, but it's probably the most explaining it is probably the most tremendously boring thing in the world. (laughs) (laughs) We all want to know. (laughs) You'd be best served watching paint dry. In short, yeah, the research sends that first and then the interviews, but what I try to do is almost like a jigsaw puzzle. You build a start, you're building how the book's going to work and flow as you're going about it. So, you know, things are slotted into place. So at the end of the period doing research and the interviews, hopefully you've got three times as many words as you want, but they're in some kind of logical order that you're going to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it changes as you start writing in everything, but there's a, you've set your own sort of route map towards doing it. Interesting. I, I, I wonder if, if, if he had, if there are any other famous people or even not famous, like just people he liked to, play guitar with or, or do things with artistically just to do them? I he, he, he went, Stephen King t- tells a story that um, the first time they, they actually physically met John, I think King, Stephen King's got a house down in Florida and John went down there to work on the musical. Um, and Stephen King had a guitar in the corner of the room uh, and Mellencamp picked it up and just tuned it for him and, and was fairly dismissive of the fact that it was so badly tuned. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure that, um, I don't think, I, I, I'd hesitate to say slumming. I, I think John, John's one of John's great quotes is, I, I never played well with the other boys. And I think he probably goes on like that. I, he's, he is, I know on the new record, um, Bruce Springsteen has played, on tracks from the record and he has collab you know he's collaborated with um Roseanne Cash uh, and 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 other people but I I think he's I think he prefers his own company by and large I, I certainly don't think that he's the sort of guy who's um you know inviting the guy who runs the local bar to come up and have a jam with him right right yeah. Do you think he has sort of a purpose when he writes his songs? Like, is, there, is there a lot of meaning behind all of his songs that he's put out? Yeah, I mean, increasingly, yeah. I mean, I think 
certainly in the last the last two decades of his career that, that there's a there's a narrative he's telling he's you know he's writing from the point of view of a man of a certain age he's, he's touching on mortality um i think the way he writes it it, it he, he talks about it brilliantly i think he, he said um he claims that you know songwriters can learn to tune your antennae and he claims you know the process almost you're not influencing the process it just happens so when he's painting you'll be sat with the guitar next to him uh, and he's he'll just pluck a song out of the atmosphere because he's tuned into it a melody will float through the air and, and he'll pick it up put down the paintbrush write a song in five minutes go back to painting um and it's interesting, I, I, I interviewed Rick Rubin at one point, and he was telling me Tom Petty was exactly the same. He said, you could be talking to Tom, because he, Rubin worked with Petty. He said, you could be having a conversation with Tom Petty over a cup of coffee, and Petty would just stop, pick up the guitar, and write a song, and it, and it was it was literally that much in the moment that, that, that I, I think maybe you've been doing it so long, you've just able to pluck these things out of the ether. Wow, yeah. Pretty incredible. What's this new album going to be about? Does he sort of say, or do you don't know? I think it's very much in the tradition of the, the records he's made over the last few years. I, I think starting with Freedom's Road uh, and, and Life, Death and Freedom, the one he made with T-Bone Burnett, uh, very much in the American folk tradition, uh, generally quite sparse and acoustic. Um, and, and songs about mortality and life from the perspective of a late 60 70 year old man I, I think it will be in exactly that place again um I, I don't think he's for turning now i think he makes he makes music for himself and to please himself first and foremost so i think it'll be very much in that tradition yeah yeah did he ever get married then or what what's how's his uh relationship life a few times yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's it, John. Yeah, three times I think um, he, he was married. Um, uh, Sill was his first wife when he, he he eloped across the state line to marry uh, Sill in in Louisville in Kentucky when he was I think if memory serves nineteen years old. Um, second wife, yeah, three wives. Um, Elaine, uh, the longest. Elaine Mellencamp, uh, former model, and that that and and since then he's been involved on and off with Meg Ryan. Um, so yeah, he, he's had a colourful and eventful love life, shall we say? Yeah, I guess. Any any children? Five children, three daughters, two sons. Um, daughter to, with Sil, the two sons um, with Elaine, Hud and Speck. Um, yes, yeah, so five children. Wow, it, it, good relationships with them too. Everything's good. I, yeah, insofar as it can be. Yes, I, I, there's, there's no. Um, I think everybody's maintained dignified silences or, or been quite confident. I'm, his first wife still worked for him. Um, she picked out a wedding dress for his second wife, so I think that was um, <laughs> wow. that was fairly amicable. Um, so yeah, I, there's no. I mean, certainly, I, there's been no um, no particularly uh, poisonous stories or quotes or anything like that. I, I think I think that. The people I spoke to, as I said, Meg Ryan's been on and off. Uh, they were engaged uh, and, and that broke off. And um, I spoke to a very good friend of John's. He said that um, he thought it was just a, at, at this stage of both of their lives. John's just so used to living his own life and doing things his own way. It's very difficult to accommodate someone else full time in, in, in that kind of thing. And, and, and the same with, with Meg Ryan, I think. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, be that way. Wow. So now I guess the book, of course, will be sold everywhere. And um, do you have a website yourself, too, that people can come find all your books? No, I, I'm going the, the John route with that. Um, I, I tend to communicate <laughs> by carrier pigeon. and <laughs> Staying out of the spotlight. No. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, you know, I think publishers, I, I, I'm very, Simon and Schuster are publishing this book, so I think I'm in about as good a hands as you can be. Um, and I think they do, they do that thing, sort of thing far, far better than I do. So I, I will entrust that to them. Yeah, yeah. Not going to get in any Twitter wars or anything like that. <laughs> no, not going to. Well, you're no fun. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's been said. Yeah, we'll make something up, okay? And then we'll get them going, talking about you. Well, certainly uh, another great book uh, uh, featuring uh, another great rock star. So, of course, the book is called Melon Camp, and uh, our guest is the author, Paul Reese. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for having me, gents. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Paul. Tired of wasting time trying to decide what to watch on your streaming service? Go to our website and look for the Martino Movie Reviews. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. 
No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.